0: Housing L.A.'s homeless population has unsurprisingly proven to be a Herculean task. With tens of thousands of people on the streets, it's become a top issue for this year's mayoral election in November. But until now, neither candidate, Congresswoman Karen Bass and real estate developer Rick Russo, had offered specifics on the type of housing they would create, where it would be or how much it would cost. So two of my colleagues at The Times, they got out the spreadsheets and they went deep. I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, essential news from the LA Times. It's Monday, September 19th, 2022. Today, as part of our coverage of the 2022 midterm elections, we look at the mayoral race here in Los Angeles to understand how liberal cities are tackling homelessness and housing affordability. The new number for L.A. County's 2022 homeless count released earlier this month showed that growth slowed down during the two years of the pandemic. But nevertheless, homelessness continues to grow. My colleagues Dunn-Smith and Ben Oreskes covered the mayoral race, housing and more for the L.A. Times. And when they team up together... Man, they're like Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman. And I'm sorry, Ben, I know you're a Yankees fan, but hey, they're good together. So Doug, Ben, welcome to the Times. Thanks for having me. I'm
1: unapologetically still a Yankees fan after <laughs> years of living here.
2: I'm still a
0: Pirates fan for life. Uh, <laughs> then I use the wrong metaphors. Fine. Bill Mazeroski and Mickey Mantle. There you go. We'll take that. <laughs> During the L.A. mayoral primaries earlier this year, the plans that Karen Bass and Rick Caruso had to solve for homelessness were kind of vague. So how are the two of you able to get more solid details out of them? Gustavo, I think
1: it's good to step back for a second and go to the beginning of the primary when we had a dozen candidates, all of whom put plans about addressing homelessness out. And all of them included big numbers of how many people they wanted to bring indoors or how many beds they wanted to open. And and they really were just numbers, sort of felt like throwing darts at a dartboard. And so Doug and I talk all the time and clued in on this. And as we got closer and closer to the end of the primary, we we sort of went to the campaigns and we challenged each campaign to sort of Give us a plan, show us that you've done your homework and, and show us that you really have thought through what it's going to take to make these promises happen. And then over the last couple of weeks or months, we spent some time with each of them, Rick Russo.
2: We'd sure like to share with our readers the thinking that you've done so far, how you've thought through this, these questions. Right. So okay.
3: 30,000 beds. 30,000
2: beds. How do we
1: get there? And Congresswoman Karen Bass,
3: So let's start by talking about government-owned land and the idea that I think we could get about a thousand interim units on government-owned land. And just talking about the city, as I understand it, there's about 73 acres that's just the city.
2: When we knew we were going to talk to them, we had heard from some people in the city and and knowledgeable people that they they kind of gasped when they saw the big numbers that Caruso and Bass put out. And they thought, how could this be possible? So we spent some time working with the city administrative office to figure out just what the city had done in the past and how much it had cost. And we used that to present to the candidates and say, how could you do better than this?
0: And your presentation was literally an Excel spreadsheet.
2: It was an Excel spreadsheet that worked out the individual costs. And then we kind of modeled the numbers that they were putting out. We didn't know exactly what the detail was, so we kind of built in unknowns into the spreadsheet so that we could plug in the details as we got them.
0: So what do each candidate's plans boil down to and how much are they going to cost? So let's start with Caruso, Ben. Sure. Rick
1: Caruso has made a career of big promises and, and, and showy buildings. His run for mayor has also been firmly about trying to change what the city looks like. Bringing people indoors is a central part of that. Beautifying the city is as well.
4: First, I'm a builder. I know how to build. Second is we've got 300 parcels that are identified as vacant parcels in the city of Los Angeles.
1: For him, that means 30,000 new forms of interim housing. What that means is shelter beds of various kinds. And more specifically, what that means is tiny homes, which is something we've seen kind of sprout up across the city yeah, you know, they kind of look like sheds. They're eight feet by eight feet. And then another thing he has talked about, and this was a little vaguer, but was using empty buildings essentially and, and warehouses and putting what he described as sleeping pods in them. You know, another 15,000 of these.
4: There's gonna be some people that are families and you're gonna to wanna to keep a family together, right? And the beauty of these boxable units is they can combine and they can become one, two or three bedroom units. They just snap together. Right? That's a different program. There's gonna be people that need psychiatric services. That may be more in a congregate setting with the right kind of services for somebody, right? We look at the Austin model that actually built campgrounds that were protected because people wanted to stay in their in their tents.
1: For much of his promises, he wants to use the underutilized government parcels in our city, of which there are quite a few. The devil is in the details with those because they often are areas that are not hospitable to putting people on them or have had track records of having difficulty building there. This plan is incredibly expensive, Caruso and his advisors were very clear with us that this is a draft. This is the beginnings of their ideas. And they wanted to show us that they had really been thinking clearly about this. So this plan that they've put together so far.
4: And I can lay out a timesheet for you if you want me to, because I like being held accountable. I've built my whole career against a schedule and a budget. Every project has a schedule and a budget.
1: The cost of Caruso's plan in terms of the construction would be about $840 million. That would be for building the actual units that he wants to see built. The challenge with this is is that the operating expenses of having 30,000 people in these beds would be astronomical. You know, it costs like about $650 million, $660 million a year. And with that, you would also have just a huge growth in the amount of interim housing we have we have permanent housing we have hotels and motels that we have used and bought them and turned them into permanent housing there's some stuff we've built from the ground up you know you get a subsidized voucher to live in those but then we have lots of different forms of shelter as well where people can stay for you know a shorter period of time sometimes not so short and then use being in those places to then transition to something more permanent the plan that Caruso has put forward, really focuses on that interim housing. He also expects to think about permanent housing, but he says the priority right now with so many people living on the street and the city being in the state that it is in is to get people indoors first and then help them solve the complex ailments that they are dealing with, whether it be mental health issues, physical ailments, substance use disorder. So you need that interim housing, he says, before you can do anything else.
4: These are human beings. They're souls. And so I want to get them in safe, clean housing, safe, clean beds, and have the services that they need. Doug,
0: what about Karen Bass? What's her plan to solve this issue?
2: So if Rick Caruso looked at it as a kind of a blank slate and said, I'm gonna think of the simplest and quickest way to get 30,000 people off the street, Karen Bass looked at everything that's been done and said, I can do that better. I can make it faster, I can make it more productive.
3: Every level of government has a role to play. I'm fortunate that I do have the relationships on every level of government, you know, leveraging relationships that I have on the federal level, but also on the state level.
2: A good example of that is her 3,700 placements she expects to come from emergency housing vouchers, which came through the pandemic relief from the federal government. The city got more than 3,000 of those vouchers, but has only placed at this point fewer than 200 people using those vouchers. And she said in the first year in her being mayor, she would get them all used up. She would get those 3,000 people into housing Plus, she would get more people into housing using Project Home Key, which is effectively a state-funded program that the city participates in.
3: So one of the things that I'm trying to work with HUD on now is changing some of that to project-based and lifting the cap. And uh, that's required, and some of it is the city. You have to have an ID first? Well, I don't have an address. How am I gonna get an ID? Do you really need to do all of that? Can you put people in housing first and then deal with the bureaucracy? Why do you have to have a 40 plus page application?
2: She would use a master leasing of apartment buildings for the city to master lease a whole building so you could fill that and then bring services in.
3: At the end of it, we also have to look at jobs and moving people from permanent supportive housing into the mainstream. She
2: also looked at government land as a source for interim housing, but she had a fairly limited plan of about 1,000 units of interim housing on government land.
0: And what about the price?
2: Because almost everything that she proposes is leveraging programs that primarily involve federal or state money, her added cost is relatively less. It's, uh, she estimates 292 million. She's throwing in the services for the interim housing, which Caruso did not do. Most of that money would come from the federal government and state. And it's already programs that already generate that money. And she's just saying she'll bring in more.
0: Coming up after the break, the existing plans already in place and all the taxpayer money that has gone into trying to implement them. Doug, Ben, so how many plans do LA officials have right now going on to alleviate homelessness in the city?
2: I think the first one and the one that's still sort of the flagship is Proposition HHH, which the voters approved in 2016. It provided $1.2 billion in bonds to build homeless housing. And the goal was to provide 10,000 units of housing over a 10-year period. It's been very slow getting going, and so the the cost has gone up dramatically over the years, and it hasn't had a huge effect on homelessness on the street.
0: Ben, do you think all this money that has been poured into that program has been spent wisely? This housing has not
1: come cheap. The city's contribution to it has been between one hundred and ten and one hundred and thirty thousand dollars, but the units have cost upwards of six, seven hundred thousand dollars at some points, but. People have really complained in our pages and on the campaign trail about how slow it has taken to get that housing built. Where we have seen quicker results is in other programs that the city has sort of started up. They've built in upwards, I think, about 20 or 25 new shelters several thousand beds there. The city has also been embroiled in federal litigation around homelessness. You know, I think the first time I was on this podcast, I was talking about Judge David O. Carter, an Orange County man like you, and how as a part of that lawsuit, the city and county agreed to build around 6,000 new shelter beds of various forms. Some of them were renting hotel rooms, some of them were tiny homes, but much of that expansion ended up in LA. And so Between these two programs, we saw another several thousand units interim housing come online, and that has been something that happened much quicker than Triple H and probably had a lot more impact on how the streets look. That being said, when you talk to advocates, the refrain is homes and homelessness. And so using that permanent supportive housing to help those people with those complex psychological and physical ailments is what they want to see. Not a lot of that housing is open yet, and that is a frustration for a lot of people.
0: Doug, you've reported that Los Angeles spends up to hundreds of thousands of dollars just for a single housing unit. So why is it all costing so much?
2: I think one thing that's generally agreed upon is that these are decades old structures that government uses to funnel money into affordable housing. They work to produce a few units of housing every year. But in the aftermath of Triple H, the goal was to scaled up dramatically and produced thousands of units a year. And the structures just don't work that way. They're very slow. There are huge bureaucratic barriers in the way and they're highly competitive. There are rounds of funding that each developer has to go through that can take years just to put together a capital stack to build something. And so there's a lot of interest in figuring out how to streamline these bureaucratic structures.
0: And that's something that both Rick Caruso and Karen Bass have criticized. And they say that they'll boost efficiency and cut back on waste. Ben, do they have the experience to back up those goals?
1: I think the most interesting part of our conversations with both of them was it came back to a single, very simple refrain Trust us. (laughs) We have the experience, we have the know how. We
4: can do this.
1: And those experiences are different. Rick Russo told us multiple times he's a builder.
4: The primary question is why is the private sector building that same unit for $200,000, $250,000, right? We were sitting in one of his developments in the Palisades having this
1: conversation and he
4: pointed to this property
1: and said, I did this quickly and under budget. I I can do that. Building
4: is not the problem. I know how to do that. And the public sector is building it at three to four times the cost. It just shows the level of not only inefficiency, lack of expertise.
1: On the flip side, you have Karen Bass who has decades of government experience and also has worked in community development and advocacy in South LA.
3: But I remember though, when I worked at County Hospital, cause I worked in the ER there and I would drive through Skid Row every day and I watched Skid Row change because Skid Row in the early 80s was white men, alcoholics, and then when crack hit, it began to change, and then it became a black community. As uh,
1: And it still is now. Exactly. I mean,
3: it's pretty wild. Yeah. And for her, she looks
1: at this and says, these are systems I know intimately, whether it's from my experience running Community Coalition in South LA, or from being in the State Assembly, or being in Congress. And she points to her friendship with Marsha Fudge, who is the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, and says, I can crack this nut. I can unlock the problems because I can get the right people on the phone.
0: Doug, do you see both of the candidates maybe having something that the other one boasts is their particular strength? So in other words, do you think Karen Bass can do that sort of large scale building that Rick Caruso boasts so much about? And do you think Caruso maybe has that on the ground community reach that Bass has built so much of her career and reputation on?
2: First of all, there is such a perception throughout the political system in Los Angeles that they've got to succeed, that the new mayor, whoever it is, is going to have a better mound of clay to mold. You know, we, we talked to Zeb Yaroslavsky, who is like one of the most sagacious former elected officials around.
0: Former supervisor, yeah.
2: And city councilman for years. And he said, neither of these plans are realistic faced with an
4: existential political problem now and both candidates have, have promised to end homelessness in a year or at least house 30,000 people in a year it isn't going
2: to happen he said they can't do what they say they're going to do in a year but whoever wins they should borrow from the other one because there's really good stuff in both of these plans this isn't a college paper where you could be accused of plagiarism this is a, an emergency where everybody should take whatever ideas they can get
1: and i think the best way to sort of diagnose like The pros and cons of each plan. What we heard from people, again, this is their point of view that I've kind of like summarized. Caruso's plan is probably ambitious, if not unrealistic, while Karen's plan is quite realistic, if not unambitious. And by that, I mean, we spoke with Kevin DeLeon, who ran against both of these candidates and and sort of looked at Karen's ideas and said, she's on third base. This is going to already happen. She's trying to get ahead of the parade, kind of thing. And then he looked at Caruso's plan and said, unless we're opening up Dodger Stadium or SoFi Field, there's no way to get this scale. That said... He is someone who during the campaign set big goals and he said, it's good to have a big goal. It's good to have this reach because if Crusoe gets 20,000 of his 30,000 beds, that's a huge win for him. And on the flip side, if Karen can wring that many more housing placements out of the emergency housing voucher program, that's a huge win for us. You know, So in this, we see the need to set lofty goals because you can point government in the direction of completing those things and also an insight into their worldviews.
0: More after the break. Ben, what do Bass and Caruso think of each other's plans?
2: I think Bass and Caruso,
1: it should be stated, are friends. They've known each other for many years, they've worked together. I think Caruso at every turn says this woman has been in public office for decades.
4: So Congresswoman Bass talks a big game. She talks about how she's got the connections and the resources to solve all these problems. She's had 20 years in office and within her 20 years, The problems have just gotten worse. She's never sponsored a bill that I'm aware of to add more money to the homeless problem, be creative on the homeless issue, solve the criminal issue that we have in the city, has never done it. So why all of a sudden is she going to wake up with a magic wand and do it now? Bass is a little less strident in her direct critiques of him.
3: You get people in permanent supportive housing and then what? Mm -hmm. Are they going to be there the rest of their lives? Clearly there will be some people, you know, if you have profound mental illness or something like that, or a profound disability. But the majority of people will just move back into the mainstream.
1: But I think there's an element of her viewing him as being naive and viewing it as this kind of big numbers that have no basis in reality. I think I heard her say versions of that throughout the spring. Hmm. You know, one point I would add about Caruso's plan is how it would change things as well as that we've always talked about there being a proportion. So for each uh, interim housing bed, you'd have several permanent housing beds. The idea being you would quickly move people through the system and that those beds would turn over very quickly. Karen is banking on that happening. Caruso is saying, no, 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 no. We just need to get butts in beds indoors. And that is a very, very, very different view of the crisis. The reason being people get stuck in interim housing. We have seen that across the city in various different forms. And that has a to lot to do with the screwed up housing market, rental market in California. And so I think Caruso's plan would change a lot about how the city looks. And that would be a big new thing. And I think a lot of people are uncomfortable by that.
0: Doug and Ben, one thing that, both of the candidates agree on is a ban, a total ban on encampments near schools.
2: Their answers to that question in some way reveal different ways they think. Caruso just said, it's a no-brainer. If you don't vote for that, you're voting to have people camping in front of schools. And Bass said she's opposed to laws that result in just moving people from one place to another without addressing their needs, but that she also has been at schools that had homeless camps near them. And she thinks that is bad for the school environment for the kids.
0: So finally, Doug and Ben, like the main point of the conversations, the Excel sheet for uh, Caruso and Bass was how to house folks, how to get folks off the street. That's hard enough already. But did they offer any plans to address the roots of the homelessness issue?
1: What's interesting is I think an area where they agree is that they both call for a state of emergency.
4: We're going to. Declare a state of emergency. One of the Said we would declare a state of emergency
3: on day one, and we can get.
1: They view that through a rhetorical mindset, but also through one where they are thinking about earthquakes, and that's not a new refrain from political leaders in this city. We've heard that from current Mayor Eric Garcetti. So I think that we are in a situation where they are very much firmly focused on roofs but maybe haven't put as much thought yet into the broader needs in terms of the outreach workers, in terms of the subsidies that are going to be required to make the people who go into these shelters that they build have an ability to get to the next step and get stabilized.
2: There's an ongoing conversation among academics and advocates about ways of preventing people from becoming homeless, and neither Bass nor Caruso addressed that in any significant way.
0: Doug Smith, Ben Oreskes, thank you so much for this conversation. And, folks, uh, listeners, you can read more of their reporting on latimes.com. Doug, Ben, thanks. Thank 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 you. And that's it for this episode of The Times Essential News from The LA Times. A special shout-out to our loyal listener, Lydia Horn, who has listened to every single episode of The Times. That's a real one right there. Lydia, you're totally cheetah. Where's the rest of you super fans at? I'll give you a shout-out. I could be the new Art LeBeau, but you gotta drop me an email so I can shout you out, you know? Denise Guerra was a head on this episode, and Mark Nieto mixed and mastered it. Our show's produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Kasha Brasali, and David Toledo, and Ashley Brown. Our editorial assistant is Madeline Amato. Our engineers are Mario Diaz, Mark Nieto, and Mike Kathlin. Our editor is Kinsey Moreland. Our executive producers are Hasmina Aguilera, Shani Hilton, and Hibble Urbani. And our theme music is by Andrew Ipeng. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back Wednesday with all the news this madre. Gracias.